Hey everyone, my name is Igal Adado and this is the Palm Leaders Podcast. A podcast to help you make more money, stress less, and live an epic life, all while working at the pawn shop. Welcome back everybody, Palm Brokers. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Pawn Leaders Podcast. With me today, I have Josh, who was born and raised in New York as a third generation pawnbroker. He worked early in his life at the pawn counter, and then with his father learning the back office of running a multi-store operation built by Josh's grandfather, and then expanded by his father. Josh attended Union College and received his degree in computer engineering and mathematics, and is a cellist, which we'll get into for sure on this episode. In 2008, Josh and his brother Adam opened their first pawn shop in South Florida at the age of 22. They grew their operation to seven locations and various real estate holdings. Recently, Josh independently developed in-house pawn shop software for his company to use. The software fully integrates into their website with over 10,000 items available for sale. Josh currently serves as president of the Florida Pawn Brokers Association, board member of the MPA's Young Professionals, board member of his local city civil service board, and so much more. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Egal. Glad to be here. Man, first, so first of all, I need to touch up on this. I've known you for a while, ever since you worked for one of the software companies. Absolutely. And I had no idea that you were a cellist. Give me some background on that. Uh, sure. I started in third grade because it was a large instrument. I thought I would look pretty cool walking down the halls with this big thing next to me. But uh, my parents made me stick with it and uh, became pretty good. Actually, was able to travel to Europe a couple times with some orchestras. Played in Carnegie Hall, Alice Tully Hall. Uh, played with some some really neat people, and it was a big part of my my upbringing. Man, that's amazing. Now, there's the what are the two guys who play cello who tour all over the world? The two brothers. Um, I'm not sure. I forgot. I think yeah. they're called like two cellos. It's amazing. Oh, okay. They play like rock and roll music with cellos. I'm more of a Yo-Yo Ma fan. Yeah. Oh, nice. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool, man. So thanks for being on the show. Um, you're in Florida. Give us a little bit of, of what Florida's laws are, how much interest you guys can charge a month, how long the holding period is so that everybody listening uh, can know. So uh, Florida is governed by uh, Florida Statute 539, and uh, Florida law allows up to 25% per month for a pawn loan, uh, anything under that. Um, the pawn loan is good for 60 days with payments due every 30 days. All purchases are to be held for 30 days rather than 60 days on a pawn loan. Um, like many other states, any number of extensions can be made and a person can redeem their item at, at any point that they would like. After 60 days on the pawn loan, the pawn interest rate is prorated daily uh, instead of a full term, full 30 day term. Gotcha. Cool. So I met you when you were a software engineer. Uh, obviously, you still are. And you went from becoming a pawnbroker, or you grew up in the pawnbroking world. You went to software engineering, and then you opened up your own pawn shops. So let's go back into history. What was it like growing up in pawnbroking? Grandfather's pawnbroker, father's a pawnbroker. I have that same history as you. So tell me a little bit about how that was for you. So growing up, uh, my whole family, my mother's father started a company in New York. And uh, as I was growing up, that's just what I knew. The entire family was in the industry. Aunts, uncles, cousins, um, great uncles and aunts that were no longer in it, had retired. My father um, had, had built up this company when he got involved after he had married my mother. 
Uh, so when I was younger, it was, that's what he did. That's what the family did. And that's what I was going to do. So on, uh, on Saturdays, as I got a little older, Christmas vacation, summer vacations, you'd, you'd work a pawn shop. That's, that's what the family did. You know, whether I was in the main office or they'd send you to a, to a satellite location. Uh, I started at the pawn counter so I could learn what a pawnbroker does, what it is to make a loan, to interact with the customers. Um, once I got a little older and got into technology, as you mentioned, I started working in the back office with my father, running the network, doing system upgrades, maintaining security. Um, they had in-house servers. They were on Vertical's CompuPawn system at the time. So I had become familiar how to manage and support in-house uh, at a basic system level, not on the software side per se. Um, but um, once we... Once I went to college, my, my knowledge really picked up on, on the tech side, and I was able to, to assist even further. Nice. So then you went from learning all that stuff to essentially working for CompuPone at some point for a software company. Right. Did that for a while, right? For like about a year and a half. That's when I met you. And then at 22, what made you say, it's time to open up my own shop? So I knew that, it's terrible to say, but we knew we were going to be in the pawn industry. So why do I need to subject myself to such hard, rigorous work being a computer engineer at a, at a private college? Um, but that's what I knew I wanted to do even within the pawn industry. Technology was evolving and, and you knew that this was going to be a main aspect of any industry. Um, so having gone to school for software engineering, computer engineering, uh, dealing with systems and electronics, once I graduated, Having the pawn experience and that systems experience, it was an easy introduction to go work for a software company that made software for pawn shops. I'd known the background. I knew what to expect from the customers. I knew what it meant to be a pawnbroker. I knew how the software worked. I had used it for 10 years as a teenager. Uh, so when I went in to work for Vertical, it was, um, said it, was, it was an easy in. Uh, I was there about a year and a half, and like I said, we always knew at some point we would we would roll back into being a pawn operator. There was a uh, store that was a customer of Verticals that went on the market for sale. I uh, discussed with with my brother and my father, is it is it about time that we did that? And um, we waited for my brother to graduate college. Uh, he left college, went on a short vacation, flew him from vacation down to Florida on a Sunday and Monday morning. Uh, we acquired store number one. So he went on vacation, went to work right away, right? <laughs> right. He didn't get any breaks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So um, GNC Pond was opened. What was the year that you guys opened? Uh, we, we first opened in 2008. 2008. Uh, July of 2008. Awesome. So talk to me about how you guys went from one store. Many palm brokers have like one shop, maybe two. You know, they don't want the headache of opening so many stores. You guys went from one to seven pretty quickly and did it successfully. What were some of the things that you guys did right or wrong that you can look back on now to help other pawnbrokers in growing your business so fast? Sure. Uh, one thing we always knew that we wanted to grow organically by ourselves. Uh, there, there are other very successful companies that, that do grow very quick, very large by bringing in um, you know, private investor equity money, but they lose uh, a bit of control of your company down the road and then they have issues with other investors. Um, we, we would rather have stayed small and kept it in our family. 
So it was just a partnership between myself, my brother, and my father. Um, we opened the one store. We got somewhat lucky at the timing. It was right around the time the gold boomed. So we pretty much knew that we would take as much of the profits that we can properly reinvest it into the company. You know, my brother and I would live very, very modestly. We didn't overspend. We were able to take a lot of that money, uh, you know, to acquire store number two. Uh, going from one to two was, was a big jump from us. At that point, we were still young. It had only been about a year and a half since the first store acquisition. Um, my brother and I were working in the same store for a year and a half, so we knew, all right, we, he can go to one store. I can stay at the other store. Uh, so many other pawn operators know that just being able to properly train and trust someone with what is essentially your baby, it, it's a very difficult thing to do. So the fact that him and I were able to split up having, you know, an equal amount of experience growing up in the industry and, of course, being able to, to trust each other implicitly made that a bit easier. Uh, going from two to three was equally as difficult because now we've got a third store where we're not going to be at. No matter There's what no we, are, <laughs> we can only be at two stores at the most. So we had to make sure that we brought on people, properly trained them before we were able to simply let them go off on their own. And of course, proper management, oversight, video cameras, you know, checking paperwork. It's not a matter of just opening the store, handing over the keys and coming back during Christmas time. It's, uh, it was still a lot of work to make sure that every store was being run properly and efficiently. So tell me, what are, what are kind of going back, what are some of the things that you look on now and say, I can't believe we did that when you went from like store number one to two to three, what would you have done differently today? Uh, it's funny. We look back at store number one and we were open for six days, Monday through Saturday. And at the time we didn't really think about it. Adam and I were open for six days. We worked together for six days and we had one other staff member with us. If only instead of taking off Sunday, we took off one day during the week. One of us worked then and not on Sunday. We could have opened seven days. Uh, and it's silly. We don't have much in terms of regrets. We think we did a really good job. Um, but something as silly as that, even opening that seventh day, at, we didn't open seven days till we got to, I believe it was our fourth store, and realized that Sunday was a fantastic day. You know, so many people are not working, just going around town shopping, not to mention lots of other stores are not open on Sundays. Yeah. Uh, being open a couple extra hours during the week and on Sundays would have been a big help. Nice. What's been the hardest thing? running a pawn shop work-life balance right. it, it, very tough you know there, there's all too many days where myself and my brother would, would make plans and someone calls out sick manager calls out sick something happened and uh it's just it's on you you know we, we've had to cancel vacations dinners meetings all types of things but ultimately we knew that the business essentially came first after our you know personal lives and health of course but um, it's, it's been a struggle and always will be to make sure that uh, the stores are open. Ultimately, if the store isn't open, uh, there's no income and you can't service your customers within the community. So you said before that when the gold was booming, you guys saved money. A lot of pawnbrokers that I know, you know, they went out there, they melted everything. They spent it all. They bought, you know, their big house or nice cars. They forgot to like reinvest thinking this is just short term. What made you guys say, wait a second, this might not go for a long time. Let's reinvest this money. What, what made that come into your mind? So 
having the experience growing up with my family. My, my, when I left my family's stores, they had 20 stores in New York City. Uh, and that's how you became successful. It wasn't just one store. And there are companies that have one massive store and do incredibly well. Um, but it was our business model that a multi-location operation was the way to go. Uh, so we knew before we even opened, we would open this first store, but it, that wasn't going to be the end of it. We knew we would have to keep, continue to open. We were going to try for at least one store a year. Uh, so gold boomed and we saw a couple extra bucks coming in. At the time, it was big money for us. We, you know, we were in college. We, you know, I had, I had a hundred bucks here and there. Uh, so, you know, when we were able to melt gold and, and it was, you know, with some bigger money that we were able to put in the bank, hold off until we can properly look for a location. South Florida is very hard with its zoning. So we, we really focused on an acquisition, knowing that there would be some other people more wanting to retire so we could acquire their location. Uh, we got some stores at a good deal, some we paid, you know, fair money for. Uh, but we knew a lot of these operations we would be able to improve given given our youth and our, our willingness to work, uh, whereas some other guys had already been in the industry 30 years, were reaching, you know, the age of retirement. They were slowing down a little bit. They weren't reinvesting in their selves, their stores, their technology was, was old. You know, they weren't looking into newer social media, digital marketing. Uh, we knew we could do that. So we knew that we just had to take this money and uh, – down the road, our father always told us that there'll be more. Right now, you don't need it. Put it back in the company, and uh, next year you'll have more money. So Smart. That, that's been the business model. You know, it's we got to live. That's fine, but we need to put it back in the company. That's how the company grows. That's how we're able to bring on more people. You know, help them afford their families and grow our local community and economy as well. So I was looking at your social media. You talked about investing in yourself and your stores and in your social media. I checked out your website. I'm, I'm a, you know, an Instagram follower of yours and Facebook follower of yours. You guys have some incredible social media strategies, put out some great content. What are, with that, with social media strategy, what are the strategies do you guys use to differentiate yourselves in the market so that customers know that GNC Pond is the best? Right. So, so one thing we knew from day one is that we needed to properly brand ourselves. Uh, there are some companies who might believe in, in having different locations as different names. And, and I, I understand a logic for that. Uh, but we knew, I mean, if you look at the overall, the overall American economy, the largest companies, are, you go to any state and any city and you see the same source, the same logo. You know that. You know whether you want to go there, you know whether you don't want to go there. But if you go to another city and you see a company you've already dealt with, it's going to make it easier for you to want to walk in that front door. You, you know what to expect. So we, we knew that we had to do that. And then branching into the digital marketplace, we're able to use that to our advantage. You know, it's, it's, it's advertising, whether it's a storefront sign or online. But when you see a store today driving down the road and then tomorrow you see a Facebook post and the next day Instagram and the next book's a different news media blog, but our name and our logo is consistent across the board. Uh, next year, you're going to keep seeing it and someone's going to say, you know something, I've been seeing that here, there, and I don't even remember where. Let's go check them out. So, so we knew that we had to make sure to do that. And um, we've had to adjust our name to, to uh, from Golden Connection down to GC Pong. Uh, and our name is our URL address. So that when I tell someone we're gcpong.com, 
they know that's how they can find us. They go right online, gcpawn.com, and they can conduct business with us through through various digital medias. So I say that, you know, with everything with the gold price coming down, pawnbrokers need to become better leaders, better marketers, and better business strategists. What do you think about that? And how can a pawnbroker become better at those three things? Leader, marketer, and strategist. Right. So, I mean, you mentioned the gold price. It's in, in our company, gold accounts for about 55% of, of our overall loan portfolio. So there's still a huge market in, in other in, in other uh, types of categories of items that we deal with. Uh, so in terms of being a leader in the industry, it's, it's not turning people away because they come in with a bicycle or a weed eater. Uh, there, there's still you know, profit to be made on that while helping out that customer. It's not everybody has gold. So we, that's, if we just said no and we're taking gold watches and guns only, uh, we'd be turning away a, a very large bit of business. Uh, this is obviously, the size of your store is going to dictate what specifically you can or cannot take in. So um, we do the best we can to organize. And I'll always tell people, if it'll fit through the front door or maybe around the backside, back gate, we will take it. As long as we can make a couple bucks, that's something that we'll help you out with. Uh, so, of course, we had to, um, you know, taking into account that strategy, certain items within our company might go to a different store. We have a couple stores that have larger facilities or outdoor storage. So we're redirecting certain inventory to those stores, not turning it down. You know, again, we, we will make room to do what we can to take in as many items as possible. Nice, man. And thinking about seven stores, how many employees do you have? Uh, we currently have 22 on staff. Uh, we try to, you know, we always have looked at the bottom dollar. So we try to keep an efficient uh, staffing level. Our stores are relatively small, about 3,000 square feet on average. Uh, we typically have two to three people staffed in, in a store at any time. Uh, we've had a great success rate. I think our our oldest staff member is about nine years in with the company, and we're almost at 10 years. So we've got some people that really enjoy working with us, and we enjoy working with them. We're, we're glad that so many people have stuck around with the, with the company. And it, the company has only been able to grow because of people that, you know, that were able to maintain working here. And that's one of the biggest concerns for pawnbrokers is how do I find good employees? How do I find people who want to make, you know, don't want to become an entrepreneur, don't want to make, you know, 30 bucks an hour, but who are, will be dedicated to the company and give great customer service. What's been the secret for GC Pawn to find great talent? Right. So it's always been a struggle and to this day it is. Um, and I don't think we have one particular, uh, you know, method of success. We've tried various ways of, of obtaining new talent, uh, whether that's through, you know, a headhunter, going to uh, employment shows. We list on Indeed, on Craigslist. I think we tried Monster once, but it, it's been a struggle. Um, and of course, you can find anybody to to fulfill a, a job position, but pawnbroking is a, a specialized industry, uh, and you've got to have sort of a, a drive to want to work ability to, to grow within the company um you know the, the information that that you feed to it to a new broker it's, it's immense within the first few months and we'll tell people when they start here say it's going to take you four to six months to become a proficient pawnbroker don't expect to be able to do everything in three weeks don't get upset with yourself i'm not i'm certainly not going to get upset with you either but we want to see a valiant effort you know on your part first day you can jump in say hello to customers pick up the phone 
show a willingness to learn. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who want to take a lazy way out and, and don't want to work too hard. So there is always a little bit of turnover in, in some people that do do the bare minimum or less. Um, so it's it's been it's been a challenge finding those people. But if you find the right people, treat them right. Uh, you know, it, it's not always about the money. Obviously, we're all here to, to make a dollar. That's just what we're doing. Um, but we found a lot of people are more interested in a in a good work environment where they're respected, where, where they understand what they're doing. They, they appreciate, you know, their position and they're appreciated from those around them. Uh, people, if they, if they go home just upset, not wanting to wake up in the morning, you, you could make a million dollars and a lot of people would turn that down. It, it's just not worth the headache. I'm so glad you said that. You know, just yesterday I had a little tiff with somebody on one of the pawn Facebook groups where I said that, when I would do meetings with my employees and I was realizing that they were drinking just tons of soda, like just a lot, right? So I took out the scale, I took out sugar and I just measured out 40 grams of sugar, you know, in one. And then I said, here's two of them and three of them and four of them and five of them, right? 200 grams of sugar on a scale is a lot. So this guy said, you know, why should you care what your employees do? And I said, well, if I can teach my employees to be healthier and happier, that increases my bottom line. It's Absolutely. like I'm going to tell them what to do, but I know if I can have them wake up with more energy, they're going to sell better. They're going to smile more. You know? I think that's just a standard health practice. If you're more accepting of yourself and let's say you wake up, you don't feel groggy, you don't have health issues, it's going to make any day go better. Uh, we, we've tried, you know, to, to always convince people to stop smoking. It's, you know, for, forgetting about the fact that they're outside. Not not working. Everybody deserves a break. That's fine. But I'd rather them go outside and get some fresh air, <laughs> not not tar. Um, but you know, people want to do what they want to do, and, and that's fine. We certainly respect everybody's decision. Yeah. But like I say, it's, uh, maintaining proper health is is a great is a great point of view. Nice. So what's I just out of curiosity in Florida, what's a good loan balance for a shop to have, like where someone's making some good money? They're doing okay. What's like the average loan balance? Oh, we've always tried to figure that out. And Florida is such a big state with such a variety of companies. Uh, you know, companies like myself, we have multiple stores. Uh, there are some larger stores in both physical size and loan balances. When we came in in 2008, we realized a large majority of the industry in Florida, close to 1,500 stores, um, were single owner operated stores relatively small. Um, and through talking to people during our, our acquisition processes, you know, we would hear a lot of switches South Florida. It's much too short about the Northern part of Florida. Um, but a, a, an owner operated store might have on average 40 to 50,000 in loan balances. But if you figure, you know, you consider the interest rate, which is high if you look at the percentage, but if you consider that the average dollar loan is typically 80 to $120, the, the, even at uh, you know twenty five percent on a hundred dollars, it's it doesn't cover much. It still costs you five to eight dollars to to perform a transaction, store the item, you know your utilities. You still have, have a lot of overhead to pay. Uh, your larger stores are probably going to have maybe between seventy to to a hundred or so, and there are plenty of stores that have larger balances than that. Uh, but considering your now we're about thirteen fifty stores in Florida. 
Um, I would say a good average balance is probably between 70 to 100. If I had to take an educated guess, uh, and that's not taking into account, there's a large population of value funds down here. They have large stores. They have lots of money behind them. Uh, so we found that they're able to overpay for items, which you know will essentially inflate their loan balances uh, from what my company might loan on an item. So if we were able to do that for a couple of years in a row, sure, I would probably have double the balance that I would. But when that item forfeits and I have to sell it for under my cost, I'd be out of business. Yeah. I can't sell more stock. Yeah. I always told my brother, you know, if we had the loan balance that we had in California, which is in the millions in Florida, man, we'd be dancing on the tables all day. <laughs> well, how many were in California? What was that? How many pawn shops are in California? Oh, I don't even know the answer to that. I mean, it's got to be, you guys have a lot more because of the interest rate. I mean, we have, I think it's the last time I was a board member, uh, it was in the hundreds. You know, we didn't even hit the thousands, even close. So because of the interest rate, it, you know, the interest rate is so high, it, it's quite easy for single store owner operated to make a living. Yeah. He's not going to get rich. He's not going to go out of business. He's going to provide for his family. So over the years, since, since laws were enacted, so many people opened a pawn shop. So as I said, in 2008, there were about 1,500 pawn shops. So the amount of business is spread between a lot more stores than it, than it was in a low interest rate state. You've got high population, of course, so you've got more people coming to less stores. Uh, we've got less people going to more stores. So, you know, our average number of transactions as well as loan balance is, of course, less than any interest rate state. And the same is, of course, we grew up in New York. It's very similar there. Not many pawn shops, low interest rate, high balances. But that's what you need in a low interest rate state to support yourself. Anybody who wants to try to open a pawn shop in a low interest rate state without $500,000 in the bank just sitting there, yeah. you can't operate. Yeah. So it takes a lot to, to start in those states. In Florida, you need 100 grand, maybe. You could probably get away with a little less. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. What's been the funnest part? Just quickly, what's been the funnest part of this whole journey for you? I don't really have to buy new stuff. <laughs> we, we, uh, we get it a little late in the game, but uh, when we first got into this and forgetting about it and growing up, when, it, when at, my brother and I started our first store, it was right about the time the first iPad came out. And this was the hype. Everybody had to have an iPad. We went to the mall, we were in the Apple store, we're looking at it, oh, we'll get matching iPads, this is great. Hey, we're, I don't remember how much. All right, it's a little expensive, we work. What are we working for? We can afford it. You know something? Let's just wait a month or two. It'll probably come into the pawn shop. Yeah. I, and now we just, we have stacks and stacks <laughs> and stacks of iPads. <laughs> so we're glad we waited. But the same is true with anything else. My phone breaks. Just... Just go to the go to the pawn shop. We've yeah. got phones. That, that's what I do miss. You know, I call my brother. Hey, man, you have the new iPad. Let me know. Hey, I need a new Mac. Let me know. And, and uh, I do miss that for sure, man. I want to talk to you about. Um, you know, you put together your own program. You're, you're a software engineer. I want to talk to you about how software engineering and that mindset has helped you in business. In your in, to grow your stores. Uh, very simply, we're able to do whatever we want. Um, we're not at the mercy of a company to produce an aspect of a product that might work for us because they're, they're looking at the entirety of the country. They've got pawn shops in every state. 
Every state has their own laws. Every company has their own needs. Some use a particular product within the software. Some might not. Uh, so I'm able to focus all of my efforts on 100% of the products that we are going to use within that software suite. Now, because I'm doing it single-handedly, it's a little bit of a time consumption for me. Uh, you know, after working 10 hours during the day running the business, I'm up till two in the morning doing some some coding. But my brother and I are able to sit down and say, what, what do we need this to do? We need it to do this, this, and this. I say, okay, we draw out some specs and we do it. So we've been able to produce the software that works for us and use it to our advantage, which included integrating it into our website. So by that, going above and beyond just being on eBay, being on Bonanza, being on Etsy, being on Gunbroker, being on Amazon, we have our own e-store where every single piece of inventory within our company is on the website the day, the minute it goes out for sale mm. with pictures and prices and full descriptions. And I'm able to control the inventory flow. We're able to control what information is displayed, what information should not be displayed, what's going to get printed on the ticket. What do we want the customers to see? How do we want them to interact with us? Customer can use our website to go online to our website they can see their loans, their layaways. They can make payments. They make layaway payments, bond payments. Uh, they can purchase items outright, whereas we'll ship it right to them. They don't. They can go pawn shopping from their home, from anywhere in this country, and uh, they don't have to leave their couch, which mm -hmm. is which is the, the new trend. You know, we're uh, a very small Amazon. I wouldn't compare ourselves to them, <laughs> but we're able to accomplish what Amazon is. That once an item goes out for sale, it is available immediately. Once it's purchased, it is removed from our software. Receipt prints is removed from the website. There's Once it's there, there's very little we as a company need to do to maintain that inventory. So it's it's been very helpful once the item comes in, if it's properly inventory and it sells, it's, it's a streamlined process. Nice, man. So let's talk about um, Florida Pawnbrokers Association. If there's a pawnbroker listening to this, who's in Florida? Tell us about what you guys do, um, why they should join, and why it's important to be part of the association. Right. So as the association president, um, there are there's a few people involved in our state association in such a large state. Uh, so it's a little disheartening over the years. So many people don't want to join. Uh, but like any association, the main objective of our association is primarily to monitor and lobby for legal legislation that might come about to negatively affect our industry, uh, as does happen across the board nationally and in every individual state. Um, any bit of, of legislation could easily put out a huge majority of pawnbrokers. Uh, you know, we mentioned the interest rate. Um, it, it sounds high, but your average dollar loan is so low. A lower interest rate in Florida would almost immediately put out a lot of business owners, small business owners, a lot of people working for those companies. Um, no doubt would affect those communities who simply cannot walk into a bank and get a loan for $300 because an unexpected bill came up and they don't get paid till next Friday. So the association retains a lobbyist. They monitor some, some legal issues at the state level. 
Uh, they're very familiar with a lot of the legislatures. So if there are issues, we're able to go and talk to them on a one-on-one, -on -one, explain to them what the industry is and what it does. Uh, just last week, I wanted to meet a, a local representative in the Florida House who I had heard spoke. Uh, he spoke at a, a meeting I went to with my wife, who was an attorney. So it was for a uh, Florida Bar Association. All right, let me go meet with this gentleman. We tell him who we are. So if there's anything that comes up, he can call me and ask the pawnbroker's side. He wanted to, of course. Uh, he was under the impression, and it's, it's scary to think this, but he had a real thought that half, 50% of our inventory and our business was simply stolen merchandise. Wow. Was his, this is what he knew. He knew nothing else. So 45 minutes later, I was able to explain to him what we really do, who we cater to, and that as a national average, less than half of 1% of items are stolen. And out of those items, a, a large majority of them are recovered to the victims of that crime. Uh, you know, pawnbroker is here to help the community, not hurt the community. Yeah. So it's, it's always been you know, known that we, we need to go out and educate the legislature. They're the ones making the laws. They're the ones that can potentially affect our law. And if they don't understand what we do, it's all too easy for them to change the law because of, you know, one story that hit the news that's uh, going to make the entirety of the industry look bad. And um, if no one understands what we do, everybody will be in favor of proposed legislation change. Yeah. Well said, man. So where can they find uh, the Florida Association and where to join? Where do they go? So um, our website, floridapawnbrokers.net, uh, has some basic information on that. There's a, a form on there in which they can submit their membership. Uh, my information, you know, my email address, there's a contact page, goes directly to me. I do try to answer those inquiries immediately if I can. Try to recruit new members, um, but it's not just a pay your dues, okay, you're a member. Stay active, meet other pawnbrokers, meet your local community representatives who make your laws, who go to Tallahassee, our state capital, and can affect the way you do business. Tell them about your family, tell them about your staff, tell them how you pay your taxes, how you help other people keep their, their livelihoods and, and their homes intact. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's important. Awesome. So this is a quick fire round. I know you've traveled around a lot. You've seen a lot of pawn shops. You work with the MPA. You're on the board. Quickly, what are the two biggest mistakes pawnbrokers are making in 2018? It's 2018. What are the two biggest mistakes that they're making that they need to change right away? Not being digital or social media. I mean, that is the top number one. It's uh, so many pawnbrokers who are still just have a sign on their front uh, front door. It just says pawn shop. No one knows who they are. You know, there's a large majority of people that are they're going mobile. Everybody is attached to their phones. I know I am. Yeah. I'm sure everybody listening to this has their phone in their hand. They're probably watching this on their phones. Yeah. yeah. You need to advertise, uh, you know, whether you're paying for a Google ad or some generic form of, of advertising using Craigslist. There's so many platforms out there that you can use to advertise your inventory and yourself to, to get out there. That's that nice. is just and number one thing to do. Number two. Uh, number two, we really need to change the way that, that we do business, and a lot of people are. Someone walks through the front door 
it, your first thing is good morning. How are you? Uh, you know, I still walk into other businesses, whether it's pawn shop or not, but what do you want? Yeah. You're not even greeted. It, it's a lot of the large chains. I'll walk into a value pawn cash America and shop them around and I'll, I'll there 10 minutes. Not one person has said, hi, can I help you? And I'm the only one in the store. Wow. Uh, you know, and they, they make up a large chunk of us. It'd be tough to get to those public companies, but uh, everybody else needs to understand that, that the marketplace has changed. People know they can shop around. If they walk into your store and they don't feel warm and welcome, and especially in South Florida, they're going to walk out the front door and they could probably walk to another pawn shop right down the road. Uh, we we are plentiful down here. There There is a lot of competition. And competition is healthy and, and it's good, but there's nothing wrong with treating your customer with respect you know, and dignity and let them know that you're there to help them. And you appreciate them. Nice, man. Love it. Thank you so much for your knowledge, Josh. Thanks for being on the show today. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I'm glad you're doing this. It's, you know, someone needs to take it above and beyond just the association level and share the knowledge of the industry. It's, I look forward to seeing how you can grow this podcast. Thank you so much. And if you guys want to continue listening, Palm Brokers, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you want to continue the conversation, go to Facebook and go to the Pawn Leaders Podcast community, where I'm sure I'm going to put Josh in so he can answer any questions after the, this interview. Also, if you're interested in joining a group of like-minded pawnbrokers who are taking their businesses and their lives to the next level, go to pawnleaders.com. Thanks again, and stay tuned for the next episode of the Pawn Leaders Podcast.